Well, it's great to see you this morning. Good morning. And uh, welcome. Just as we start off, we have a couple here celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. And uh, that's Brother John and Honey von Rensburg over there. I was talking to Brother John just before the service, and he was saying to me he went to the card shop to get a 60th anniversary card, and the lady at the card shop said, but sir, we never have need of those. (laughs) And uh, congratulations to you. Just a little testimony before we start. Um, By the way, thank you so much for your faithful giving um, you know, it was five weeks ago that we had the, the giving service here at the church in order to begin to pay for this great facility. In the meantime, it has transferred into our names, and the title deeds arrived last Saturday, and uh, I have just been so encouraged. But there was a couple, there is a couple in the church, and uh, about six weeks ago, no, about two months ago, met with them, and the financial situation was close to disaster. And uh, as we chatted, they told me that they had possibly two months to go before it would be perhaps irredeemable. And uh, everything they could was on the market. Some of it had been on the market for six to eight months and absolutely nothing had moved. And just an incredibly difficult situation. And they'd already uh, made arrangements with the bank to stop their debit orders on their home and on other essentials. And it was just a very difficult situation. And it came to the time of the the giving service, and my wife, she's a great lady of faith, she decided she was going to pledge on their behalf without their knowledge and that she was going to honor that pledge immediately and give in the service. Without their knowledge, she did. And she came up and she put it in And just after lunch that same day, they phoned us to tell us something that had been on the market for a long time had sold. And it was a luxury item, and people aren't buying luxury items these days. And it sold for cash. We were quite, to say the least, uh, a little dumbstruck. But the next week, they were informed that they were going to be audited by SARS. And we thought, maybe we got too happy too soon. And we thought, how long is this audit going to drag on for? How long is there going to be an issue? By the end of that week, the audit was handled and a refund equal to three months' worth of their total expenses was in their account. 
The gentleman works for a property developer and they haven't been selling anything for almost a year. The staff in the office have gone from about 20 to 3. The developer decided, this is two weeks back, that what he was going to do is he was going to try something different in Kempton Park. And he had land that he hadn't pursued because the market was just looking like it wasn't suitable. But he decided to go ahead with this project. And two weeks ago, they launched, and there were 70 units in phase one. And by the end of the weekend, they were all sold. So the developer decided to rush ahead last week with phase two, an additional 70 units. And they were all sold. And there's a waiting list. On Thursday, we had contact with them again, and they told us that they'd had a weird phone call during the week from some financial house regarding a period of employment 20 years ago where the gentleman had been employed. They said, there's a surplus in the pension fund. And he thought, well, I only worked there for a year. It was 20 years ago. Maybe there'll be enough money to take my family to McDonald's. And uh, lo and behold, that was handled in about three days and paid out an equivalent of three months of their total expenditure requirements. I know they're not here today, that's why I've got so much liberty to speak but I don't know whether they know yet that somebody pledged or gave on their behalf. But I'm overwhelmed because the Lord is good. And I don't know what you're going through today, but I do know that the Lord is good. I personally felt this was an impossible situation, but God is good. And so today I want to just thank you for your giving, believing God for his favor and blessing on every aspect of your life. I want to speak today on the subject, come let us rebuild. Come let us rebuild. I was watching the business channel the other day on, uh, on DSTV and uh, the economists were busy talking to each other. And the one economist was saying to the un- other economist, when will things return to normal? And the other economist said, well, um, this is the new normal. <laughs> the first economist said, wasn't the answer I was looking for. He said, yes, no, this is the new normal. And we have to start rebuilding. 
He said, but shouldn't things normalize? He said, well, if you talk about normalizing as in going back to the way they were, he said, that's unlikely. And then he quoted a a horrific statement. He, He said, if you had invested in the stock exchange prior to the 1933 crash and you had stayed there, it would have taken you another 25 years to get back to where you were at the time. And he said, so you can either hang around and wait for it all to return to normal, or you can start building again. Now, I don't know, you know, economists say one thing the one day and another thing the next, but I do know that it is a biblical principle to rebuild. And with God, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Dr. Jan Boerter is a member of this congregation, and he has a clinic where he helps people to lose weight. And one of the people who was part of one of his courses, or I'm not exactly sure what you call them, told me that he said the wonderful thing about dieting is that you can start again every day. (laughs) That's the wonderful thing about dieting. You can get up the next morning and you can start again. And uh, in a very real sense... With God in our lives, we can start, get up every day and start rebuilding. And we can build. And uh, that's what I wanted to speak about. We live in a very interesting and challenging time in the world and in this country as well. I mean, we have elections just around the corner. I really hope you're praying for those elections. And uh, we've got all that that's going on. But I believe... In the midst of all that, we can either wait for things to return to some form of normality, or we can start building now. Take up your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the great story of rebuilding Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Nehemiah, we're going to read two full chapters, so if you've got your Bible with you, it would help. But otherwise, I'm going to be reading it to you. The Living Bible says it's an autobiography of Nehemiah's life. Um, other Bibles don't actually, they, they don't give clarity as to who was the exact author. But Nehemiah chapter 1 and chapter 2. Some of it I will skip as we go along, but not much. Nehemiah chapter 1. And from verse 1, it says, In the month of Keslev in the twelfth year, while I was in the palace at Susa, Hanana, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah responds and he says in verse 4, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, and this is Nehemiah's prayer, he said, O Lord God of heaven, 
the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sin we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commandments and decrees and laws you gave to your servant Moses. Verse 8. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you will return to me and obey my commandments, then even if your exiled people are on the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servants success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And at that stage, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. Chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year, when wine was brought to the king, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in the king's presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad? You are not ill. This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been burned by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. I said, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried so I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Verse 7, I also said to him, if it, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asher, the keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will live in. And because of the gracious hand of my God upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letter. And the king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. But when Sanballat and Tobiah heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Verse 11. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no horses for me to ride except the one I was riding on, and by night we went through the, the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down, and the gates which had been destroyed by fire. 
Then I moved on to the fountain gate, the king's pool. But there was not enough room for the horse to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. Because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Verse 17, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in and Jerusalem is in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said, and they replied, let us start building. So they strengthened their hands and began the good work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this that you are doing, they asked, are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding, but as for you, you will have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Quite an amazing story. If you just turn to chapter 6, a couple of pages later, and verse 15, chapter 6 and verse 15, it says, So the wall was completed in 52 days. Amazing story, that the wall could be completed in 52 days. I've got eight points I quickly want to share with you. Firstly, how do you respond when things have been broken or destroyed? What is the way to respond when we go through difficulty or challenge or hardship? We'll go back to verse number four in chapter one, and you will see what Nehemiah's response was. In verse 4, it says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned, and then I fasted and prayed before the Lord God. And here we see five things that Nehemiah did when he realized what was precious to him had been broken or destroyed. The first thing he did was sit down. Have you ever had a situation where somebody, somebody wants to give you some news and they say, are you sitting down? When somebody says to you, are you sitting down? Do you want to jump up and say, what is it? So the first thing he did was sat down. The next thing he did was he cried. And I want to tell you, when you go through difficult periods of time, to take a moment to sit down and reflect, and cry. It's not the wrong thing to do. Sometimes we, we don't allow ourselves to grieve. When our dreams or our visions or things we'd hoped for don't materialize. Sit down, have a good cry. Carries on, it says, he mourned. Mourning is a little bit more than crying because mourning is usually a state that you're in. But you see, his sitting down and his crying and his mourning led him to fasting and praying. And your grieving over what has been broken or lost must progressively move you towards God. 
It must move you towards into a place where you say, God, yes, things have gone awry, and I'm, I am bitterly disappointed, but I'm going to start trusting you. And so he moves to this place where he is fasting and praying, and we read that entire prayer. And I believe there just needs to be this progression in our lives. Out of this, what happens? I want you to notice a couple of things. Number two, a vision is born in his heart. I want to tell you when things aren't going your way, it's an ideal climate for some vision to be born in your heart. And this vision is born in his heart where he begins to imagine rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls of the city, shall I say. And Nehemiah goes to the king. He has the boldness to go to the king. And the king says to him, what is it? that you want. And my question to you today is, what is it that you want? What is the desire and the longing of your heart? The king says to him, what is it that you want? Sometimes I think God wants to say the same thing. What is it? What is it that you want? In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 12, you don't have to turn there, it says, Nehemiah said, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. What is it that your God has put in your heart to do in your marriage, in your finances, in your business, in your career, in your relationships? What is it? Maybe in the country maybe in the domain of influence that you find yourself in. What is it? So God begins to birth this vision in Nehemiah, and the vision is to rebuild the walls that have been destroyed. Point number three, notice this, the plan. I mean, he had a plan. He thought, I'm going to talk to the king, and when I speak to the king, I'm going to ask the king, about the possibility of rebuilding. I'm going to ask the king to give me a letter giving me safe passage. I'm going to ask the king to give me a letter so that I can get the wood from the king's forest to be able to rebuild. I'm going to ask. And he put this plan together. And when he went to the king, he had a positive response to the point where the king said, I will send a battalion with you to protect you in addition to the letters. And so there was this plan. And sometimes you and I need to put a plan together in line with the vision. Sometimes people, oh, I have a vision to be used by the Lord. Oh, Lord, when is it going to fall in my lap? And, and, I, and God says, have you prepared yourself? Have you done what's needed to be done? You know, and I believe we must put a plan together. And part of the plan is others. You see, no one makes it on their own. We need each other. And part of the plan was, Nehemiah knew he needed the king. He needed the favor of the king. But he knew he needed the people to be able to do the rebuilding. 
And he knew he needed others, and so he had this plan together. And if you go and read the rest of Nehemiah, he assigned certain sections of the wall to certain people or families to be able to rebuild, and he put this plan together. That's the plan. But notice there was also opposition. There is always opposition. You can be doing the most ideal thing. There will be opposition. Somebody is going to say, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Somebody is going to be saying, oh, um, <laughs> somebody is going to have some kind of comment. And there are these characters in this book, in the story of Nehemiah. It's Sanballat and Tobiah. Those names aren't very popular today in modern culture. And uh, it's no wonder they were negative. They, were mo- they, were, they had reason. They scorned and mocked and laughed and tried to uh, cloud the thing. He, they actually said, are you trying to rebel against the king from their kind of place of authority? I don't know. But there's always opposition. And don't let that opposition stop you in terms of the God-given vision that you, that God has placed within you. And I believe that when you and I arise and we want to do something, there'll always be opposition. There's a difference between genuine concern and outright opposition. And make sure you can identify what the difference is. So, Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, they said, it says, they laughed and scorned at us and despised us, saying, what is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Point number five. A lot can be achieved in a short time with God's favor. A lot can be achieved in a short time with God's favor. Man, this story is a picture of God's favor. Imagine building, rebuilding the walls of a city in 52 days. I want to tell you, your marriage may look like those walls. Your finances may look like those walls. Your business may look like those walls. But a lot can be achieved in a short time with God's favor. And the funny thing is, he didn't, he didn't go to the king, Nehemiah, and say to the king, King, I would like to rebuild Jerusalem, but I'd like to go to a nice new piece of real estate. Perhaps I can build it, um, you know, next to the pyramids. There's a nice flat plain there. No, no, no. He said, I want to go back to where the damage is. I want to go back to the foundation that was laid before. I want to take those same stones and I want to build them. He used the same foundation, the same stones, and he rebuilt. And uh, in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 2, those uh, two little or three critical people They said the following, I think this is from the Living Bible, it says, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a day? 
Look at those charred stones. They are pulling out of the rubbish and using again. I want to tell you, God will take the charred stones of your disappointment. God will take those burnt gates of your hopelessness and He will build if you will just allow Him. And sometimes we think we must go elsewhere and build. We may even think that we must use use new materials to build. But God often uses the very ruins and uses the very damaged material to rebuild what He has in mind. Now, if that doesn't give you hope. Point number six. We must get out of the holding pattern. We must get out of the holding pattern. A couple of years ago, I went on an outreach to Zambia. And we climbed on, uh, I think it was an SAA Boeing, and we headed for Lusaka. And as things happened, a few minutes before we were due to arrive in Lusaka, the president of Zambia arrived in his plane. And it was policy in Zambia at that stage, I don't know what the policy is today, that while the president was arriving, and for the duration of the arrival ceremony, no planes were allowed to take off or land. And we arrived, and the pilot informed us that the president had just arrived on the ground. There would be a ceremony going on, that the policy of the government was that no plans, planes could land or take off during the ceremony, and we would be maintaining a holding pattern until such a time as the ceremony was over. Well, I want to tell you, a little ceremony began in that plane. <laughs> it came like a wave from all over as disgruntled people began to murmur and moan and curse and go on and on and on while hopelessly we maintained a holding pattern. At times, in the holding pattern, I was at the window and I could look out and I could see the president's plane standing on the runway. This is an international airport. I could see the red carpet. I could see the marching band. I could see one or two battalions of soldiers marching up and down. And I wondered to myself, how long before we fall out of the sky? <laughs> and you know, we had to circle that airport for half an hour. For half an hour, we had to circle that airport. Now, during that half an hour, I've always been somebody who loves to watch what other people are doing. And I was watching what was going on in that plane. And the blood pressures were going through. Boy, if they could have punctured that, uh, man, they would have punctured it. But there were some who just sat back and relaxed. 
took out a book and started to read. There were some who took out their laptops and started working. Started making use of the time. But you see, what happens in, in life is something happens and we go into a holding pattern. Something happens. It can be something we've done.